Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Yesterday was not a good day for PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, a.k.a. Jay Moneyhan, a.k.a. Jay Blood Money Man. Or maybe I should say it was a terrible day for Monahan's public image and reputation. I'm sure it was the best day ever for Jay Moneyman's bank account. But if we're talking about this guy's rep, the man looks like one of the biggest hypocrites ever right now. And you know why that is? Probably because he is one of the biggest hypocrites ever. I want to make this clear once again, just like I did yesterday, but I and so many others are calling Jay Monahan a hypocrite because of Jay Monahan's own words and actions. This is not about my opinion or my politics. Again, as I said yesterday, save this nonsense about that's why I hate your guts, Rome. You know you would have taken that money. You know you would have. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this guy and his public stance. This is not about my opinion on that or my politics or the fact that you know me when you don't. And by the way, you don't know my politics. You don't. Or my stance on the PGA Tour or the livers. No, that's not what this is about. Don't make this about that. Because I'm not making it about that. I'm making it about Monahan. I'm making it about what he said over the last 18 months. I'm making it about what he said a year ago. Fewer than 365 days ago, Monahan made his stance very clear when he looked into a CBS camera and he said this. As it relates to the families of 9-11, uh, I have two families that are close to me that lost loved ones. And so my heart goes out to them. And I would ask, you know, any player that has left or any player that would ever consider leaving, have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour? He would ask any player who has left or even consider leaving. I mean, I can't begin to state how stunning and nauseating and, frankly, revolting it is to see that comment now for what it actually was, a negotiating ploy. Thankfully, I don't think I really have to really spell out how gross that always for anybody because I think we all have the same exact feeling right about now. Well, most of us do. I think pretty much everybody gets it which is why pretty much everybody is calling this dude a hypocrite and much worse this morning. And I mean everybody. We don't all agree on anything. I know this. Except for the fact that Jay Moneyman is the biggest hypocrite ever. Now, the optimist in me was hoping that by the time this dude found a microphone yesterday, he would at least have something coherent to say for himself. But the realist in me knew exactly what was coming which is exactly what we got. Verbal diarrhea, hot air with the stench of sulfur spewing from his mouth and stinking up the entire room. Everybody just wants to know the same question. The hell changed. What the hell changed? What changed in the last 360 days that brought this dude from taking up for 9-11 families to profiting off their pain. Clearly, we must be missing something. Something must have changed. Something must have happened. Hey, Jay Moneyman, exactly what did change, dude? We're in a control position. Uh, we have an investor, a great and world-class investor. And I recognize everything that, you know, that, I've, that I've said in the past and in, in my prior positions. I recognize that people are going to call me a hypocrite. And anytime I've said anything, I said it with the information I had at that moment. And I said, I said it based on someone that's trying to compete for the PGA Tour and our players. Um, and so I accept those criticisms. But circumstances do change. And I think that, you know, in looking at the big picture and looking, looking, at, looking at it this way, that's, that's, what, that's what got us to this point. Hey, thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you for clarifying nothing. 
You see, there's a damn good reason people are going to call you a hypocrite, my guy. It's because you're a hypocrite. It's because they're right. They're right to call you a hypocrite and a liar and a scumbag and worse. I mean, what kind of an explanation was that? A year ago, you linked these dudes to one of the worst days in American history. Yet now, a year later, they're, quote, a world-class investor? What changed? And What does that even mean, world-class investor, other than a world-class opportunity for you to cash the hell out? And let's get this part straight. That's no investor. That is no investor. That is your new boss. That is your new boss. Miss me with... We're in a control position. We're in a control position. Miss me with that. The PGA Tour might still have control over the golf decisions, but the Saudis now control the money decisions. So you tell me, Jay Money Man, who is actually in the, quote, control position? And he also met with PGA Tour players yesterday, a.k.a. the group of dudes that he stabbed in the back after costing them a combined, I don't know, billion plus guys in the same room. A billion, I don't know, two bill, three bill? Not one bill, not two bill, not three bill. Who knows how many billions? So he's in the room and he has to explain himself to them, right? You're pissed if somebody owes you 20 bucks or 100 bucks. How pissed would you be if somebody owed you 700 mil or 500 mil? Or 300 mil, or 130 mil, or even one mil. So he's in the room addressing them. And as you might imagine, that meeting went about as well as you might think that it would go. But I'll let Money Man describe it himself. I would describe the meeting as uh, intense, uh, certainly heated. This is a very complex, obviously, it's a very, it's been a very dynamic and a complex couple of years. Um, and for players, I'm not surprised that, you know, this is an awful lot to ask them to digest. Yeah, yeah, you think? A lot to digest. That would be an all-time understatement, especially since what we initially thought yesterday actually was the case. The players had no idea about the deal. They reportedly were left completely out of the loop, even Tiger. And it's even worse than that. This was not some quick deal that materialized overnight or over a weekend. PGA Tour leadership has reportedly been working on this deal for nearly two months. And yet over that time, this allegedly member-run organization never bothered to let its members know that it was working on the biggest deal in the history of the sport. So that's why it's not exactly surprising to hear that the players were calling for Monahan's head in that meeting, right to his face. And that they reportedly feel betrayed and manipulated by the tour. Yet, no kidding. You know why they feel that way? Because they were betrayed and manipulated by the tour. I mean, realize this. It wasn't just Tiger's 800 mil or Rory's 500 mil that got turned down. I mean, essentially, everybody on tour got some kind of offer. Basically, everybody in that room with Monaghan turned down money out of loyalty to the tour. And then for what? to get brutally and suddenly stabbed in the back. Basically, that room full of dudes turned down cash so that Jay Money Man could sweep in and take that cash. So what I'm really trying to say is he's not just a hypocrite, but he also betrayed the trust and the bank accounts of the entire membership that he supposedly represents. Which is why, again, I have no idea how this guy can continue in the role of PGA Tour Commissioner right now. Although it looks like he might actually get a promotion somehow, some way. Either way, either way, he gets promoted. Or if he gets forced out, I'm sure he'll be happy to resign to his private island or his super yacht soon enough. Because as brutal as the last 24 hours may have been for his public reputation, something tells me it was all very worth it for Jay Blood Money Man. So what about the players? What do they really think? What do they really think? We finally heard from Rory this morning. No surprise, he's not happy. Also, no surprise, he still hates live golf. I still hate live. Like, I hate live. Like, I, I, 
hope it goes away, and I would fully expect that it does. Um, and I think that's where the distinction here is. This is the PJ Tour, the DP World Tour, and the PIF. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. Very different from Live. All I've tried to do is protect what the PGA Tour is and what the PGA Tour stands for. And I think it will continue to to do that. Um, So, look, going forward, I hope that... There's, you know, there may be a team element and you're going to see maybe me, maybe whoever else play in some sort of team golf, but I don't think it'll look anything like Liv has looked. And I think that's a good thing. I said it to Jay yesterday, you've galvanized everyone against something and that thing that you galvanized everyone against, you've now partnered with. So, yeah, of course I understand it. It, it is hypocritical. It sounds hypocritical. It is hypocritical. I'm sure Rory does not need anybody to remind him that it was also diabolical. Because of all that money, and yes, I understand clones, some of this money is coming back now, isn't it? (laughs) Damn straight. Because that's what this is all about, money. But because of all that money that all the tour players turned down just so Monaghan could take it, well, (laughs) how would you feel if you were Rory? How would you feel if you were Rory and you thought you were standing on principle and you thought you were doing the right thing and you left all that money on the table? How would you feel if you were Rory? Should the golfers who maybe stayed loyal and turned down live, should they be made whole financially? (laughs) I mean, the simple answer is yes. The complex answer is how does that happen? Mm -hmm. Right? And that's all all gray area and up, up, up in the air at the minute. But yeah, there's... You know, it's hard to it's hard for me to not sit up here and feel somewhat like a sacrificial lamb and you know, feeling like I've put myself out there and this is what happens. Again, removing myself from the situation, I see how this is better for the game of golf. There's no denying that. But for me as an individual, yeah, I there's just gonna have to be conversations that are had. He's right. I thought that was well said. He was a sacrificial lamb. He was a useful idiot. Ultimately, this will be good for the game of golf. It will. But all those players that were used, used and lied to and manipulated for something that, frankly, was going to happen all along, was Monaghan really out here for the past 18 months talking about how that was the worst thing ever, but deep down knowing all along this was how it was going to end with him getting paid and bringing in all that money? Was he just negotiating that entire time? Hard to argue against that point. 1-800-636-8686. All right, so all I'm saying is, hey, listen, if you want the money, take the money. But why did you subject everybody, your tour membership included, for the last 18 months to this song and dance about why you would never do that when you were going to do it all along? And if it's about the money and you wanted the money, just take the money from the jump and don't lie about it and misrepresent it and drag a bunch of people down with you for 18 months. Just take the money. If it's about the money, take the money and do it from the jump. You know, like Phil did, like the others did. Of course they feel betrayed. You know, and would making them whole make it right? I don't know that you ever are going to make it right because the guy lied to his own constituents this whole time. It would help. But how are you going to make it right? How are you going to chip Tiger Woods off 800 mil? Are you going to chip Rory off 500 mil? I mean, you're going to make these guys full? Really? U.S. Cellular has some great news, especially for you, 
person listening to this podcast. Right now, you can get one line with unlimited data for just $29.99. So unlike other cell networks, you won't have to pay for lines you don't need just to get a good price. Get one line for $29.99 with unlimited data today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms do apply. Visit uscellular.com for details. Parker in Georgia. Good to have you, Parker. How are you? Doing good, man. How are you? Good, good. Tiny Tiny Tim is going to make Roger Goodell look like the Pope. This will go down as an all-time, all-time villain move. Yeah, Tiny Tim. There's a gloss. Money Man, Tiny Tim. Who is Parker? Who is Parker in Georgia? Portland, Trey. Good to have you, Trey. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Jim. How you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Man, I, I'm just going to keep it real, Jim. I don't really think people can get mad at the people who took the money because I'm sure people were offered the money and they chose their conviction. The 9-11, they, people had their reasons for taking the money and people had their reasons for not taking the money. I'm not going to be mad at the people who took the money. I just can't be. Because those type of business decisions are made every day. There's winners and losers. And then they turned out to be the real losers because their boss sold them out in the end anyway. Josh in Nashville. Good to have you, Josh. How are you? Jim, how are you today? Good, good. Josh, how about you? Man, I'm doing good. Man, I just got to say, in true GOAT fashion, you have covered this story with Liv Golf and the PGA uh, like a master class and how to cover a sticky situation like this. Um, kudos to you. Harsh, yes, but accurate, fair, um, absolute master class, brother. Uh, but as somebody who, uh, who lived in Dubai for six years, I, I moved away. I moved with my family, uh, took uh, similar criticism, certainly not to the level, wasn't in the media, money, not the same, not even close. But, uh, but certainly face the same kind of criticism. But even with that, like a year and a half ago, there was nothing more cringy than Greg Norman and these live golfers. I mean, they were the Russell Wilson of the, of the golf world, man. Super cringy. Right until the PGA Tour started throwing out 9-11 families and, and channeling, uh, channeling these families and their heartbreak and all this. And you just see it, and you can just see the writing on the wall. Like, these chickens are coming home to roost. They are, they're going to have to walk this back because there is not a company in the world, not a company in America, that is not trying to grab a piece of that market share in Saudi and the UAE all over the Gulf. And the PGA Tour is just another one. If you didn't see it coming a year and a half ago, man, then – Who's shocked that it's happening today? Not me. But anyway, to you, Jim, thanks for covering it the way you have. Like I said, harsh but accurate and fair. I'm out. I appreciate it, Josh. Thank you very much. I want to be honest with you. When you say to me, who didn't see this coming? Who did not see this coming a year and a half ago? I'm going to say me. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. Because we are flying towards Smack Off 29. Now we're just 23 days away. Not a lot of time. In fact, almost no time at all. So if you want an invite and you don't have one, well, you better get in here and you better snag a golden ticket. And if you need to ask if you're invited, you better don't. Because if you have to ask, you are not. Now, if you're an avid listener, you already picked up the hint on where we're headed with today's player profile, right? Because today we are profiling a jungle giant. Not of late, but a jungle giant nonetheless. A smack-off titan nonetheless. A dude who is in the conversation with the very best callers ever to this program. Well, at least 
That is what Mike in Indy would tell you if you asked him. In fact, that's not what he would tell you. He would tell you he is the GOAT. He would tell you he is the best to ever do it. That's what he would tell you, Avi. You already know what's up, Romy. You know why I'm here. I'm the best there ever was and the best there ever will be. Here's the thing, dude. And I'm still a big fan. I'm still a big fan. But here's the thing. You're not here, Mike. At least not anymore. But I can. And I will give Mike in Indy this much. He's the best caller that definitely will not call on the 30th. Unless he shocks us. I can say that for the record. Best caller ever? Not so much. One of the best. Best caller not to call a few weeks from right now? 100%. So then you're like, hey, Rome, if you know he's not going to call, why does he get a player profile? Fair. I'll give you a few reasons. First of all, it's because I hope that he proves me wrong and actually does make that call. Secondly, I do respect the dude. I like the dude. He's earned that respect. Look at this resume. Mike has not called into a smack-off since 2020. But in the 12 main events in which he did, he absolutely dominated. He top-fived all but one. Let me repeat that. 11 top-fives in 12 smack-offs. He ripped a strap in 2014. And the craziest part of this resume... He has finished in second place more times than anybody else in the history of the event. Six times. Six-time runner-up Mike and Indy. And I think I'm safe in assuming that Mike himself thinks that he should have won all six times. That might be part of the reason why he doesn't come around anymore. I'm telling you, that's how good he was. That's how close Mike and Indy was to being a full-blown dynasty. And I think that he does not get enough credit for that. But he's always been a worthy rival to the greatest dynasty that the show has. The GOAT, the BIC, Brad and Corona. The two of these guys had the best rivalry ever. Mike and Brady actually debuted in the same, Brad I should say, actually debuted in the same smack off back in 09. They came in together. Here's the amazing thing. They both made their smack-off debuts in 09, and you'll never guess how that one went. Brad won, Mike second. Brad first, Mike second. And from the very beginning, Mike was one of the only people in the jungle who could legitimately claim an actual rivalry, rivalry with Brad. Brad wants to talk about me playing five-on-five at 24-hour fitness. The fact that Brad knew basketball is five-on-five is a sign somebody fed him that line. We all know Brad doesn't know jack about sports, and that's why he never has any sports takes. The last time Brad showed up at a 24-hour fitness, he was wearing a pair of Spanx and carrying a yoga mat. I think Brad's hatred for sports comes from his unathletic childhood, where instead of gym class being awesome for people like me, it was torture for scrubs like Brad. Someone passes him the basketball, and he has to do something goofy, like trap it against his chest to catch it. Brad always being one of the first kids out in dodgeball, which he didn't mind too much because he could sit on the side and gossip with the other girls about studs like me. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I miss that guy. I miss that guy. There's a good reason why this dude has an absurd smack-off resume. Funny as hell, witty as hell, sharp as hell, nasty as hell. For over a decade, Mike... Arguably, and the guy just spits lines, right? Lines. So for over a decade, Mike arguably threw and landed more haymakers in the jungle than anybody else. And a perfect example of his relentless style is a call that he made to the Smack Off back in 2019. Check out his act in Smack Off 25. Romy, I'm the big, long, straight piece in Tetris. Stevie Carbone is that crappy zigzag piece you get right before your screen fills up. You've heard everybody coming at me today. I got so many beefs, I can't even keep track. I got so much beef, Beaks in Studio City tried to rob me in broad daylight. Rome, I have thousands of Twitter followers, but I only follow five, so getting a follow from me is a huge honor. If I win today, I'm going to open up the floodgates and follow the whole XR4TI. That might be the closest you knuckleheads ever get to a Twitter verification. Rome, I'm having a tough time dealing with that moving stage that ESPN uses to whisk Booger McFarlane from one end of the field to the other. What's next? They're going to suspend Booger McFarlane's fat ass in a zipline harness hovering over the field? Brad and Corona apologists say Brad has four championships but should have five. 
well, I should have nine championships, so I guess that settles that. I mean, that right there is exactly how it's done. This dude is a machine, or he was. Maybe he still is. But when he was at the peak of his powers, when he was showing up on the regular, when he was showing up day of, that's how he did it. Set it up, knock it down. Set it up, knock it down. Take, take, take. And all savage, all vicious, all nasty. So if you're new around here and you want to try to figure out how to lay down smack, that's how you do it. And good luck. Good luck with that. Now, Mikey can be a bit of a showman as well. You could even say that he's got a flair for the dramatic. Case in point, the time he famously retired from the Smack Off only to unretire the day before Smack Off 24. And then he showed up anyway and did what he always did, landed in the top five when he made this call in 2018. Today I'm going to play a little game of show and tell. I'm going to show you all how great I am, and then I'm going to tell you about it. I know everybody's saying I'm responsible for the Left and Laguna rule, banning studio appearances, and that's true. I got that done. But it was to protect Rome against a psychopath like Rick and Buffalo. Rome doesn't exactly have a crew of ass kickers on the other side of that glass. Nice pre-recorded doctored-up call. Take out the gimmicks, and that call sucked so bad it might have sucked another Southwest passenger out of airplane window. You see what I mean? This is what we're missing when this guy stops stopped showing up. I mean, speaking of grudges, it seems like all of us are cut off since that call. Like, Mikey, you make it better. Dude, you've always made it better. But he's nowhere to be found. Unfortunately for everybody, he's nowhere to be found. His last call to the show was three years ago at Smack Off 26. This call right here is the last time he called the show, and that was in Smack Off 26 in 2020. We all saw the Last Dance documentary, and as we learned about Jordan's competitive fire and drive, most of us started thinking they were actually talking about me. Everybody knows I take this Smack Off stuff personally, and that stokes my competitive flame the same it does MJ. Then the stuck nut smack off odds come out and Mark in Boston is ahead of me and I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. You know Mark has only had one top five in ten years, right? So stuck nut is cut off. And Mark, I know you didn't create the stuck nut odds, but you're cut off too, bitch. Bye-bye. Speaking of grudges, I bet the NBA players are pissed no females are allowed in their bubble for the next eight weeks. That's like a prison sentence. The best players will be the ones who can block sex out of their mind. AC Green would put up 40 points and 20 boards a night. Caleb and Green Bay could average 20 and 10. They're going to have to sneak some females in at some point, though. Disney's going to have more underground tunnels than El Chapo's palatial estate. LeBron James is going to be in the underground tunnel with a torch looking like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Poon. You better don't. You better don't reset that temple. I mean, speaking of grudges, it seems like all of us are cut off. Never mind that he had a grudge or a beef with Brad or Lef or Vic. Man, stuck nut. Me. My man's got a grudge against all of us because he cut all of us off. Man, I've made it so clear since that day. Mike is always welcome. Mike is obviously invited back. Mike is more than welcome to call anytime. That's another great thing about Mike. Mike and Indy. When he was doing his thing, and I get that life changes, but when Mike was doing his thing, he wasn't only showing up day of, he was showing up for this show almost on the weekly. He would show up multiple times a month and always show up like that. So the door is always open for this guy. Always. My door will always be open to anybody who can run smack like this. I think of a young Caleb in Green Bay looking up at his Mike and Indy poster on the ceiling before he falls asleep at night. Mark in Boston is a proven caller. Proven to be average. The most pathetic man in the jungle, Stevie Carbone. Carbone realized he wanted to be a reality spoiler when he told some little kid Santa Claus didn't exist. And when he saw the disappointment on that kid's face, Stevie thought, damn, that felt good. Brad and Corona, I bet this cat has to watch 30 minutes of Melrose Place in the morning just to get right. Mike Tarico thinks this guy's a tool. I'd like to start by talking a little Women's World Cup. Alex Morgan is hot. I wanted to wish everybody a happy October. Or as Matthew Perry calls it, 
McRib Month. The only reason Brad's name pops up on National Dog Day is because he's a bitch. And Mark in Hollywood, I'm with you on your rant about Hulk Hogan, but then you go on to make fun of people with Tourette's Syndrome, bitch poser. Mark should have won the ESPY Award for Courage coming back after those last two ass-whoopings he got. Joe in Hollywood, Joe, you're about as smooth as A.C. Green at a nightclub. Your last call violated both elements of the have-a-take-don't-suck rule. You didn't have a take, and you suck. Vic, you are a worthless word gypsy. What, Jim Abbott chewing his own arm off didn't want any of that? I mean, this guy is a one-line machine. Bam, bam, bam. Mike and Indy, you know you're invited. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you are buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And if you don't see it, Ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Well, Trapper, what's your beef? Let's go to San Antonio, Gino. It is smack-off season. Good to see Gino in there. Gino, what's up? How you doing? Hey, man, I will say this about Mike and India. I can't say he's a better caller than Brad, but I can't really say Brad's a better caller than uh, Mike either. Mike, uh, he was selling some You Better Don't t-shirts back in the day, and I bought one. So I'll say my best call I ever made to this show probably wasn't as good as the worst call Mike and Andy ever made. If, if I knew for a fact he was going to call in, I'd take the day off just to hear it. Love you, Mike. But uh, I was calling about this whole situation with the PGA and Liv. It's really, I'm not going to repeat all the things that you've said. I, I listened to First Take this morning despite the fact that I can't stand listening to uh, Stephen A. Smith. But on certain topics, I'm willing to dial in because I think he's got an important, important voice just like you. Uh, there are some days when I know for a fact I'm going to be listening to the jungle because I want to hear what you have to say. And I appreciate all the things that I heard you say, Dog said on his show as well. But the one thing that I am curious about is how much blood money hands is talking this talk about how he's got a controlling interest with the Saudis. Dude, you did not merge with the Saudis. The Saudis just bought the PGA out, son. I'll be curious uh, what Wetzel has to say on this topic, but DeShambo said something that really got me thinking this morning. He said that he felt bad for the PGA Tour members because they were told one thing and something else happened, but we, meaning the live players, were told something and it happened. I got to ask myself, what exactly is he saying when he says we were told something and it happened? Was the entire goal of the live tour just to get the Saudis with incredible bags of cash to lure away top players and force the PGA to, to merge with them? Was that the entire point from the beginning? I'd be curious what Wetzel has to say on that. And quickly, Brandel Chambly, you crushed Phil, DeChambeau, Kepka, all the live players like no other. You railed and tore your hair out screaming at them. Will you now have the courage of your convictions and go on the PGA shows and crush Monaghan and the rest of the PGA with the same passion that you crushed all the live players for selling out their soul just like the live players did? I'll hang up and take your your uh, response, Rom. Uh, my response is, you're not capping on almost everything you just said, starting with Mike and Indy. Rack that call. Woj joins me once again. Woj, great to have you in the jungle. What's up, dude? Jim, great, great to be back with you. How are you? My oh, man, it's so good to hear your voice. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's great to have you back. Let me start with the latest. What are you hearing about Tyler Hero and his availability? He's been out, of course, since he broke his right hand in the first round of the playoffs. Is there any update regarding his availability for tonight's Game 3 or even the rest of the series? Yeah, Jim, right now he's still ruled out for Game 3. There had been some hope uh, that he might be back as soon as Game 2. And then game three, and I think as he started to ramp up his workouts and, and take on some contact in those, that that right hand has not felt right yet. He's not been cleared yet to return. There's still some uh, discomfort there. And so, you know, he'll continue to work out um, and see if he can get to a place pain-free enough 
uh, to be able to be cleared to play at some point in the series. Right, Which, what about the flip side? Michael Malone really lit his team up for its effort in Game 2. How do you expect the Nuggets to show up tonight in Miami? You know, he, he does that a lot. I think it was a little jarring to hear it in the NBA Finals. You don't normally hear a coach uh, go at a team for effort in the NBA Finals, or really even deep in the playoffs. But that's the relationship Michael Malone has with this group. He has been with this core for a very long time. Uh, typically, they respond really well to it. They have such great internal leadership with the Nuggets, certainly starting with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Uh, uh, this is a team that is pretty self-motivated, and I would expect them, you know, they don't put many clunkers back-to-back together. You've seen them in the playoffs, certainly this year, uh, respond when they've had uh, a bad performance. And that was a – listen, they, they had a double-digit lead uh, in the second half of, of game two. You thought that they had taken Miami's punch, and Miami just keeps coming and coming. And, listen, they uh, – this is certainly for Denver uh, to be able to come down in game three and, and get – control of this series again this is this is a big one for them no no doubt adrian wojnarowski joining us Woj, no doubt about that when you win game one and you're up by 15 in game two and you've got your hands around their throat you better choke them out because we know we all know about miami you better kill them when you get the chance if you let them stay in the fight they're gonna do some real damage we know this if the heat pull this off Woj, are we no longer just considering eric spolstra one of the best if not the best in the business but an all-time great if miami pulls this off Jim, I already thought Eric Spolstra is one of the all-time great coaches to do it with so many different kinds of teams in Miami. Did it with LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and doing it in just a number of different incarnations of this organization. And uh, listen, the NBA is a little more difficult to measure sometimes because you're at the mercy of the talent you have. College basketball, you can go out and recruit talent. Certain programs are always going to be good. But in the NBA, you know, there's so many great coaches who will never win a championship because they don't have championship-level teams. But I don't know that there's anybody who has he, – he's won every kind of way. And to do it over the period of time he has, especially, you know, at a time with 30 NBA teams, you look at players – you know, who are dominant, coaches who are dominant in different eras when there were fewer teams. But in this time of player movement and rosters turning over to see the consistent greatness of Eric Spostra, I would say this. If you made every coach available in the NBA, all 30 teams, either they had a draft or they could go out in free agency and sign it with no salary cap, Eric Spostra would be number one. He'd be the highest paid coach in the league. He'd be the most pursued coach in the league. Everybody would fire the coach they have to go get Eric Spolstra. And that's been true for years. That didn't just become true in this postseason. That's enormous praise, and you, my friend, are not wrong. I agree with you. Speaking of player movement, Woj, how do you view the report that Kyrie Irving wants the Mavericks to explore trading for LeBron to form a big three in Dallas with Luka? How do you see that report? Every great player in the league wants his GM to go get great player X, great player Y. Uh, it's just not that simple. And especially a player of LeBron James's caliber and who he is, he's not interested in that. And so um, it's not AAU basketball, right, where you can just leave your team and go pick up for the next weekend with another team. Uh, Dallas doesn't have certainly the wherewithal to make a trade like that. And LeBron James doesn't have the interest in it. And listen, we could go down the list of Damian Lillard, Joel Embiid, Trey Young, name the player, Mikel Bridges in Brooklyn. We could name every player in the league. They would love to have LeBron James. And all the great players in the league want to play with other great players. It's even more complicated now because of the new collective bargaining agreement. Uh, Especially having three max players is really, really difficult. If you want to have any other flexibility in your roster, it's going to limit you to really be able to build out any kind of a roster. And so uh, I think when next season starts, I think LeBron James will be in L.A. And I think very, very, very likely 
Kyrie Irving will will be in Dallas. Yeah, I was just going to say, which I agree with you. I don't see any way, I don't think for a second that LeBron wants to be with Kyrie in Dallas. However, is there any part of LeBron that would want Kyrie in L.A.? Well, listen, I I certainly think LeBron James has had interest in reuniting with Kyrie Irving, but there's just really no way for it to happen unless Kyrie Irving was willing to take a substantial pay cut uh, to be in L.A. No indications he's willing to do that. He could have done that last summer with their uh, by sign, by opting out of Brooklyn, signing Fornix into the Lakers' exception. He didn't do it then. Uh, he's poised to get a huge payday in Dallas. They're going to pay him. They made uh, a significant uh, surrendering of assets to get him. And so, uh, listen, I think for the Lakers, you saw the moves they made at the trade deadline. That's going to be the shell of their team. That doesn't mean they're not going to make some moves. I think there's conversations that will continue to happen with D'Angelo Russell on, on an extension there. Is there a number and, and years that makes sense for both sides where that could happen? Um, I think those talks will continue, but uh, I think the days, and I think the Lakers have a lot of reticence about having three max player star team. It, it, it didn't work with Russell Westbrook, and again, you just lose all the roster versatility that they have. Like you want to keep Austin Reeves. You want to keep Rui Hachimura. You got these really good young players who you have, who are restricted free agents, who you can re-sign and keep. And you're going to let all those guys walk to gut your roster to sign Kyrie Irving. That's not been the direction the Lakers want to go with this. Preach. It ain't broke. It ain't broke. In fact, they fixed it at the trade deadline. I agree with you 100%. Well, before you go, let me ask you about the commissioner, Adam Silver. He stated that he was going to hold off on the announcement on the league disciplining John Morant until after the NBA Finals. Whenever that decision is made, what's your sense of how severe that punishment might be? You know, I think a good benchmark to, a good benchmark to look at on this in terms of like maybe what the minimum would be and I think it'll probably be more than this. Remember, players cannot be they cannot be voted on to all NBA, uh, get those major postseason awards unless they play uh, a minimum of 65 regular season games. So if the league suspends him for 18, he's already been disqualified from that. I don't think that was put in to be a, a benchmark for suspensions because there's so few that come along that are going to be of this length. They, they don't come along very often. I would be shocked if it was less than that, Jim, but I think whatever the number is, and I think Adam Silver doesn't say anything by accident. When he came out, you know, first the night of the draft lottery with Malika Andrews right before the draft, when he talked about it, and then again, he had the news conference at the beginning of the finals. Uh, he, it was no accident he talked about um, how he talked about the situation and his disappointment in John Morant and the fact that he had, uh, you know, certainly gone back on his word that he would and his assurances that he was going to change his behavior. They've been investigating John Morant on a number of different issues for well over a year. They're well documented. This is obviously the first punishable one. I don't think when this is over, Adam Silver is going to allow anyone to say, hey, he went light on him again. And if that's the criticism of the first suspension late in the season, I don't think that happens again. So I do think it's going to be significant. I don't think it's going to be the whole season. I would be shocked if it's half the season. But I think you start working backward from there, and you can make a case uh, you know, in a range from, let's say, again, 18 games takes him out of all the postseason awards, um, 18 games north into the 20s, maybe something that starts with a three. All right, so Woj, I so appreciate all your time, especially today. How about one quick, quick thought on this? I'm a big Frank Vogel guy. I think he's a damn good coach who still does not necessarily get the respect he deserves. You reported that he ultimately beat out Doc Rivers and Suns assistant Kevin Young for the gig there. Ultimately, why did the Suns go with Vogel? And is it the right choice in your mind? Yeah, listen, I think Frank Vogel's an outstanding coach. You've seen him have the best defense in the league at two different places, both Indiana and the Lakers. Um, he's got it. They're, they're putting a good staff around him. Kevin Young, who has a respect, a great relationship with Devin Booker, that's important. 
and then David Fisdale coming back in, and there's trust with Fisdale and Vogel. They were together with the Lakers, and uh, I think that's very helpful for him. Listen, I thought you could make the case um, for any of the three. There's, there's not always a wrong answer, but I think for Frank Vogel, uh, you know, really hit it off. I think in Philadelphia he was a very serious candidate. I think they looked really hard at him uh, before they went to Nick Nurse. And so, um, listen, I thought they fired a great coach in Monty Williams, who obviously landed on his feet in Detroit with a historic contract. I think you're just going to see in this league, Jim, more and more, it's going to look a little more like the NFL, where you're going to maybe see a little more turnover in coaches, and um, teams are now really willing to pay for guys they think are difference makers, guys who are championship coaches. And again, Frank Vogel, they're going to have to build out this roster. It is uh, there's a real lack of depth. I got to decide what are the futures of Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton. But you have Devin Booker, you have Kevin Durant. And so to me, this is a really important summer. Never mind who the coach is, can they get back some of the depth? And um, maybe that's through a trade with Ayton. What does it look like with Chris Paul in the last year of his deal? So uh, a lot of work to do on that roster before you could ask a coach there to go win seven games in the NBA Finals. That's it. Or Once go again. win four games in the NBA Finals. Right. I was going to say, speaking of the Finals, Game 3 tonight, Heat Nuggets, it's in Miami, 8.30 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Coverage gets underway with the NBA Countdown at 8 p.m. Adrian Wojnarowski is an ESPN Senior NBA Insider. Woj, appreciate you so much. Great to have you on the show. I know you made time for it, and you were really gracious with your time. Woj, appreciate you. Thanks so much. As always, Jim, always an honor. I'll talk to you soon, brother. My man, you too. He is Dan Wetzel. He joins us via Zoom. Dan, what's going on? How are you? I'm good, Jim. How are you? Good, dude. You look great. It's great to have you on. Thanks for making time. Listen, before we get into what it all means, can I first get your reaction to the news that the PGA and Live Tours, after hating each other's guts for over a year and a half, have decided to lay down in bed together and merge? What was your initial reaction when you saw that? I think like everyone else is, you know, stunned, uh, particularly because it happened right now. Um, I thought, look, you get into a business uh, fight, uh, uh, basically a hostile takeover um, and, and prolonged legal battle with anyone who has more resources, considerably more resources, you're you're going to lose generally. Long term, they can just lean on you. It's like a poker game when you've got all the chips. Uh, and the other guy doesn't. So I kind of always felt as much as the live product was was inferior, people really weren't going for it. It wasn't exciting. No one wanted it. Um, as long as the Saudis didn't lose uh, interest in this fight, they would be able to just spend as much as they wanted. It wasn't a fair battle. The PGA has fiscal responsibilities. They have limitations. Um, live was part of a 600 plus billion dollar fund and so they could lose as much money as they needed if they're going to win the long term but that said um to have it happen so quickly and not maybe at the end of the season at least uh you know in the winter uh i think was shocking to everyone talking to dan wetzel when you look at it that way dan and you're right when you look at those coffers i mean 600 bill with a b in that fund i mean could you make the point that this is what was going to happen all along. And not only that, Liv knew it and the PGA knew it. Oh, I think we both knew it. It was just how long could the PGA hold out? And it was kind of like if they could hold out for three or four or five years, you know, does do, do, do some of the players come back? Um, does, do, does the Saudis give up and just say this isn't going to work? Uh, I don't know. Uh, that that was kind of it, but they they just crumbled so quickly. Uh, they just weren't equipped for the fight, and you know because you, you you know you talked to we talked I talked to Kepka at the uh, Brooks Kepka at the at the Masters, and he really said the only reason he joined Live was because he thought he he wasn't going to get healthy again, and so this was his only chance to make a ton of money. These guys are he's basically taking advantage of them, and you know here's his chance, and but now he's healthy and he wants to play. He could almost see the way he's sitting there saying, you know, I, I really want to get back uh, to competing at the higher level. So there was hope that way, but it was going to be a long shot. Uh, you just had so much momentum behind Liv. But 
the fact it's really the way they did it. They never really talked about that as much as they went this scorched earth policy of, you know, uh, live live as inferior uh, and all of that, but also anybody who who dared to do anything with live or have anything to do with the Saudis was, you know, their principles were were unethical and, you know, they didn't have morals. They didn't care. They were unpatriotic. Um, they went very, very personal in the attacks against not just live, but anyone associated with live. And that was the way the PGA waged this battle. And so when you go down that, that line and you've basically said, everybody who has anything to do with live, you know, is taking blood money and, 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 and should be ashamed and then immediately, all of a sudden, just 15 months in, go, okay, we're going to take the money now. That's uh, a whole different swing on this. I, I just felt like you wouldn't you wouldn't wage a, a battle that heated uh, if you were going to crumble so quickly. Right. So what happened? What changed? Because that was the battle. They did go scorched earth. They made it very clear, we are not about any of this. We are about freedom. We are about human rights. We're against torture. We're against sports washing. Uh, we're okay with all that. Where's the money? Like, what changed? <laughs> well, I think they'll tell you that they, their their financial situation was more precarious than they were letting on. They didn't have the money to uh, really operate uh, properly with the with the increased prize pool and some of the some of the the changes they had made. Which, in hindsight, they just should have made in the originally. That's their original mistake. And then maybe live doesn't come along. Although maybe it does. Um, whether that's true or not is hard to say. I mean, obviously, they're going to do everything they can to try to make it like we had no choice. Uh, we fought the good fight, uh, but uh, th this this was inevitable. We had to do it. And and that's how they're going to try to defend themselves against the hypocrisy charges. But uh, we don't know that's true. But clearly, at some point along the way here, they decided we're going to lose. Let's just make this deal now. Um, could they have held out longer? I would have hoped so, but apparently, you know, whatever. They they made that choice. Dan Wetzel joining us. So, Dan, bottom line, that far, that part for me. Did they fight the good fight, or is Monaghan, in fact, one of the biggest hypocrites ever? Well, he's one of the biggest hypocrites ever. I mean, they, I, I don't I don't know how you come back from this. Uh, if you think you're going to lose, like we were saying, if you think, look, this is inevitable. I don't, this is a we got a snowball's chance, you know, we're going to give up in 15 months. You don't sit there last summer and have 9-11 families uh, sending letters to Phil Mickelson and sending letter and protesting outside uh, golf tournaments in the United States um, and, 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 and then use them as a PR prop to gain sympathy and to make points and things like that. And then turn your back so quickly. Um, he talked personally about how he knew families that had lost people at 9-11. I mean, to, to go that route, to get extremely personal and basically say, if you're playing with Liv, if you have anything to do with these Saudis, you're dishonoring uh, the victims, the families that are left from, from September 11th. Uh, this, you know, one of the worst day, maybe the worst day, certainly in, in the life I've had in the United States, uh, and one of the worst in our, our country's history, and then turn... I mean, why are you invoking that? Why are you going down that route um, when you, if you know you're going to lose? So I, he, he will always be hypocritical for that. I mean, I even if you are pro-live, even if uh, you know you're like, hey, look, I don't really care who's funding this thing. Uh, there's Chinese money, there's Saudi money, there's this money. It's global. I just want to watch golf. That's fine. Those are your things. Even if you're in favor of that and are glad this happened, you'd have to look and go, God, man, that's some low dog stuff right there to go with. Um, and then to, to use people like Rory, uh, Tiger, John Rahm, guys that really aren't looking to be in the middle of big disputes. You know, Rory's a pretty reasonably just kind of get along guy. And to use them as the spear of your attacks back, kind of set up this Rory versus Phil war of words battle personality conflict and then so quickly as they're going along with it not only do do does rory lose but essentially you chose that he lost and you humiliated him um you know it's like your corner man becoming the judge in in a boxing match and then you know scorecard says you lost he's the deciding one so to me monahan just he he 
he set these guys up. He used them. He used the 9-11 families, and then he caved very quickly. Uh, I've yet to hear an explanation of why this is this is acceptable, uh, and I think it's going to be very, very hard for this guy to have any kind of credibility um, coming from that. And maybe there, maybe that's just a casualty of a of a tough business battle, uh, which happens. But uh, man, it's a it's a tough tough spot to fight back from uh, in terms of public uh, acceptance and player acceptance especially player acceptance. We saw how that went for him yesterday when he got in front of his players in that room and tried to explain why he did what he did. It obviously did not go well for him. And I don't see how any of them could trust anything this guy ever has to say to them ever again. So when you look at it, Dan, who are the big winners in all this and who are the big losers? Saudi Arabia. I mean, they basically own a sport. I mean, they don't just own a team. They don't just own an event. They own golf. There's a couple events now they don't have control over, but they control all the players that are in it. Ryder Cup, Masters, things like that. But they own it. They bought a sport and a global sport and one that's played in uh, many of the, the most important markets that they want to be in. Uh, so undoubtedly, they are, are huge victors there. Uh, Mickelson. Um, you know, he he's a winner. His side wins. He's going to go back and he'll always have the bragging rights. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a little hard to say because you still had to make this jump and, and take the, take the money. But if we're just looking at it, I mean, if, I, I don't know what they paid Dustin Johnson, but you know, there's offers of two, $300 million to go play for a couple of years and live. And then you just come back to the PGA. And they're talking, Oh, there's going to be some kind of, you can't just accept them back. Well, we'll see. I mean, all those guys that gambled on live for the money and said, we don't care. We're going to take Saudi money. Um, they got their money, or at least they got part of it. And they didn't really lose anything. You know, they played less golf. And now they're back in the PGA. They're back in the thing. And at the end of the day, Rory and Spieth and all the rest are going to take Saudi money. So uh, nothing happened. So those guys gambling on it. Uh, I would consider to be be the winners here too, and then conversely, you're talking we're talking a tough loss. So not only do you have the hey man, I I fought a a a well-meaning principled stand that I wasn't going to sell out, and then you sold me out. There's other guys on that PGA tour who are like man, I stayed with the PGA and turned down two, three, four hundred million dollars. Tiger might have turned down seven hundred million to a billion, and you gave up this quick. Like maybe I should have just taken the money. So that's a there's a lot. Even if you get beyond the the, the politics or the personal stance or the hu personal humiliation, um, a lot of money that guys could have jumped at and grabbed that they didn't. And I don't know how you make it right with them. I don't know how you reconcile it with them. I don't know how you make them full, given all the money they left on the table. One last thought, Dan. I thought you made a really really interesting point when you said, "Hey, listen, they didn't buy an event." or a series of events, they bought an entire sport. They bought an entire sport. What's to stop them from buying another sport? <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, not much. Yeah, and, and I don't even know if they bought it. They basically just shifted their stated investment in live. They're just going to put it into the PGA. I don't even know if they had to buy anything. They just, they just changed their investment. So it was like, well, we're going to allocate this money and now we're going to allocate it over here, and we got it all. They they have the PGA, they have Live, and they have the uh, DP World Tour, which is a European tour. So they have pretty much every prominent player under the circuit. I, you know, I mean, that's kind of the next thing. You sit there and go, well, when will, uh, you know, they the Saudi Arabian interests own a number of Premier League teams. Um, could they ever own all the teams? Could could one come in and buy an NBA team? Uh, you know, what is stopping? this uh, fund from say, you know what, the commanders sold for what, like 6 billion or 7 billion. And there's all this financing concern. What if they just came in and said, it'll pay $15 billion for it. Right. Like they, they have that money and we own the NFL team in the nation's capital, of the United States, right there, Pentagon, right over there. I mean, I, you know, the NFL has rules on they'll, they will vote to say who can and can't own a team. But I don't know. Like this, I, all I know in this world is money uh, usually wins out, and um, 
They've got an enormous amount of money and they're interested in using it to broaden their economic appeal uh, and use it as promotional efforts. So I don't know what stops anything, but right now golf is owned by, uh, by the uh, public, uh, the public fund uh, out of Saudi Arabia. It certainly is. He is a Yahoo Sports national columnist. He is a New York Times bestselling author, co-host also of the College Football Inquirer podcast. Joining us via Zoom, Dan. Great job. You know, I appreciate you very much, and always good to have you on, Dan. Thanks for making time. Thanks, Rome. Appreciate you.